What's up, everybody? It's Power Rankings Podcast, a.k.a. The Power Rankings Show. I'm your host, Elliot Harrison, and I am pleased to be joined, as always, on this somewhat free-flowing Friday podcast with at Marcus underscore Mosher. Not as much pause. He doesn't He doesn't get that today. You know why he doesn't get that today? Because we got to get right into it, because he did a lot of homework. He's got a tea time with his Uncle Scott. 2.30, uh, yep. Yeah, let's be honest. Yeah, so, we, you know, look, we got to <laughs> rock and roll here. Um kind of interesting thing Marcus and I were talking on the phone uh the other night and we were just kind of talking about weird NFL careers because I asked him what he thought about Ryan Fitzpatrick retiring so just Ryan Fitzpatrick has had such an unusual career and I mean compared to some other guys in NFL history it's not that unusual but in recent vintage I think it really is and I do think regardless of what you think of him as a quarterback He's one of the more unique characters and personalities. And oh my gosh, how many teams has he played for, Marcus? Uh, I was at nine teams he played for. He played for Cincinnati, uh, the St. Louis Rams, Buffalo, Miami. I'm going off memory here. Washington, uh, Tampa Bay. Um, Miami. Oh yeah, I said Miami. Doggone it. And Washington. Yeah, got them. Titans. I did not get the Titans. That's seven. Bengals. I got the Bengals. The Rams. Really, I think you got them all. Did I get them all? Yeah. All right. If I didn't, I will. Uh, he didn't play in the AFC West ever, did he? Anyway. Oh, no, not in the AFC <laughs> That's West. That's AFC no, South. Home slice yeah. cheese skillet. Money fresh. Snoop Dogg. <laughs> so, uh, you know, with Ryan Fitzpatrick retiring, he's clearly not like the greatest player of all time but he certainly had his moments he was an, an incredibly streaky player mm-hmm. and we just did a podcast if you missed it on our highest approval ratings i.e what player in the last 20 years has the highest approval rating from his team's fan base and although ryan Fitzpatrick was not our nominee for the bills uh he's up there <laughs> bills mm-hmm. fans love that guy and anyway, it got us thinking more about some unique players in NFL history. Before we get into them real quick, how do you how are you going to look at Ryan Fitzpatrick? You think he's just going to be forgotten or are you going to kind of miss that he's in the league or Yeah, I see this is one where I might differ from most people. I get that he's fun. I I get that the beard is appealing and all that kind of stuff, but he was a very average to mediocre quarterback for a long time and I think he gets the Maybe slightly too much respect. I know that's going to put me on the wrong side of everybody else, but that's that's kind of how I feel. I thought you were going to say, I know that's going to put me on the wrong side of history, but uh, my favorite <laughs> Ryan Fitzpatrick moment, easily by far, was the 20, I think it was the 2018 season, where he started off the first two games a year throwing for over 400 yards for Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. And in this press conference, he wore Deshaun Jackson's outfit into the post game. Yes. Do you remember that yes. with the leather jacket? Yep. The sun? Oh, my gosh. That was amazing. That's I wanted great. to know. I never found out, though. Did he just take that from Deshaun's locker room and not tell he, him? He must have, right? He must have just picked it out of there. <laughs> That's amazing. Just amazing. So uh, we've got a, a big list of guys that we think have had the most unique careers in NFL history. Wanted to go over some of them. And, you know, we, we did a, we, we spoke about Marion Barber and I think we should mention him here too, Marcus, Marion Barber 
the fact that he made the Pro Bowl rushing for like 975 yards mm-hmm. and what was it like 15 touchdowns or something something yep. didn't and didn't start a game like you know uh a, a running back that played seven years in the league so fondly remembered that's pretty unique as well uh so that's that's another guy but i want to get into your list and your research here yeah so i've got quite a few names and i, I just want to hear your thoughts on some of these but these are guys i just think have strange or peculiar careers, which I should mention just off the top. Um, believe it or not, I do research for the show. I like to try to be prepared and know what I'm talking about. Uh, so I was sitting on my uh, my back deck with my laptop, just kind of looking at some players, and I Googled NFL players with peculiar careers. And one of the first articles comes up, and I'm reading about Michael Vick, who we can talk about, I'm reading about Deion Sanders, and I scroll to the bottom of the article. I'm like, wow, this is this is well done. I ro- wonder who wrote this. And I scroll to the top. Elliot Harrison in March of 2011 wrote about the five most peculiar comebacks in NFL history. So I thought that was funny. You know, that tells me two things. One, I don't remember any of the work I used to do. And two, now I know exactly how you frantically do your research. You're like, I don't, I don't care about your preamble. I don't care about the intro or the byline. I just want to get some names. Give me some names. And then yep. you're like, oh, wait, this actually was pretty well done. I'm going to go to the top and see who did it. <laughs> awesome. I wasn't, I didn't pick any writers names, across America. Thought, appreciate you. Yeah. No, I didn't pick any of those ones, but listen, as a fellow Michael Vick fan, I'm glad that you put him at number one. So there yeah. you go. So who you got? I have no idea who you have. So yeah. All right. Let's, got? let's start with one uh, from our favorite team, uh, the Dallas Cowboys. What about Joey Galloway? Joey Galloway was somebody who was a high pick. He went eighth overall. He got traded for two first-round picks. Um, never really panned out in Dallas. But he had, I'm looking at it now, 6,000-yard seasons in his career. Two of them came at the age of 34 and 35 and 30, or sorry, 34, 35, 36. He all had 1,000 yards in all of those seasons. Three years with at least double-digit touchdowns and 1,000 yards but never made a Pro Bowl. That's kind of rare for a guy that has 11,000 career yards. I would say so. You know, there's, there's, this is kind of one of the areas where I get sick of the combine. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know this would be an odd place for a combine rant, but, or, or about speed. Now, I don't know what Joey Galloway's 40 time was, Marcus, but he's never mentioned among the elite uh, speedsters in NFL history. Right. But there is clock speed. And there's game speed. Mm-hmm. And Joey Galloway had game speed. Now, I, I'm not saying he didn't run a fast 40. Maybe if we looked it up, he ran like a 4-4 four, four or something. That's what I think he ran. But Joey Galloway could burn anybody on the field at any time. And the other thing about speed is, okay, are you a guy that runs a 4-3 and you're good in the NFL for about three or four years and then you lose that speed? There's something to be said, not just for longevity, but the longevity of your elite athleticism. Like some yes. guys, as they get older, become older players, right? They are a little bit more wily and they anticipate better, but they've lost speed, right? Um, Jason Winton went from slow to very slow <laughs> late in his career, okay? Very slow. Joey Galloway, at like 38 years old, could still fly. Yeah. Fly. 
I, I just find it interesting, though, like in the age of the NFL now where everybody makes the Pro Bowl, right? Like we had Deontay Johnson made the Pro Bowl this year. Hunter Renfro, first year ever. He had a thousand yards. He made the Pro Bowl. Joey Galloway was doing this stuff in 1995, 1996, 97. He was putting up a thousand yards and didn't make the Pro Bowl. So my question for you is, is he the best player ever to not make a Pro Bowl? No. It's a great question, but no. The greatest yeah, player... I, yeah, go ahead. I, I've got a couple of guys, but go ahead. Greatest player to not make the Pro Bowl ever is hands down Ken Riley. He played yep. corner for the yep. Bengals 15 years. He made all pro teams. In fact, his last year in the league, he intercepted eight balls, was named first team Associated Press All-Pro as a 15-year corner and never made the Pro Bowl. I think Ken Riley, I need to look it up, but I think he has 65 career interceptions, which puts him in the top five. That would yeah. be my guy. Yeah. Uh, actually, according to Pro Football Reference, he has the highest AV ever for somebody who's never made the Pro Bowl. Do you know really? who's number two? Yeah. Do you know who's number uh, two? No idea. No idea. Carlos Dansby started 200 games in the NFL, yeah. never made a Pro Bowl, and he was a very, very good player. Oh, especially with the Cardinals, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. All right. I would so have never, the- ever, ever gotten that. Did Was Carlos Dansby the one? Was it so... Remember that wild card that was wild? It was the like Packers game, forty-five overtime. Yes. Mike Adams he scored the touchdown. Yeah, Mike Adams was it that came on like mm-hmm. a slot blitz and uh, sacked Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Aaron um, Rodgers right. missed a wide open Greg Jennings in that game that could have won the game. I would just like to say, sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, all right, let's let's stick with the high draft picks here because I got another one. Okay, um, Reggie Bush. And let me make the case for Reggie Bush having a peculiar career. So number two pick in that was a 2006 NFL draft. Um, He was somebody who had a lot of hype surrounding him. And I think if you ask most people, they would say he never led, you know, never lived up to that hype. Right. Yeah. But he played 11 years in the NFL and he had four years of at least 1300 or more yards from scrimmage. And his best seasons of his career came at the age of like 27, 28, 29 years old. You just don't see that from a running back very often. And there's just not many running backs that play double-digit years in the NFL. So I I know people are disappointed with what Bush became in the NFL. I still think it's interesting he lasted as long as he did. Didn't his rookie year, 06, didn't he catch like 88 balls, something? 88 passes for 740 yards. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't have a lot of rushing. He might have had 300 rushing yards or something. I don't know, but 565. He, I mean, they used go. him a bunch. That, that well, that's not season. bad. Yeah, I 1300 yards as a rookie. Yeah, that ain't nothing. Uh, one thing about Reggie Bush, real quick. The thing I will always remember. I worked with Reggie uh, at the NFL. He's supposed to get me some shoes. He told me what he never did. So Reggie, if you're listening, I'm not happy <laughs> about that. But um, you know, the thing that I that I always will remember is how much grief the Texans got for taking Mario Williams instead mm-hmm. of Reggie Bush. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's another guy that I always thought had an interesting career because he was considered a disappointment right out of the gate, Mario Williams. And he actually had a pretty nice career, but people always thought he didn't play up to his potential. He played far up more, far more to his potential than Jadavian Clowney has. So, um, yeah, I would say so. Anyway. All right. Who's next? All right. Next one. Uh, let's stick with running backs. Okay. Peyton Hillis. So Peyton Hillis back in Arkansas, he was the fullback for Darren McFadden and Felix Jones. Um, he gets drafted in the seventh round 
in that 2008 draft. 2008, 2009, he's with the Broncos. He plays fullback. He gets some short yardage uh, work. Not a big factor at all. He goes to Cleveland. Cleveland has a couple injuries in training camp and during the preseason. He's suddenly thrust into a starting role. 1,600 yards from scrimmage, 13 touchdowns. Mind you, the year before this, he played in 14 games and he had 73 total yards. He gets his chance to start 1,600 yards, 13 touchdowns. He's on the cover of Madden the next year. He has a decent year as a part-time starter for Cleveland and then basically out of the league a couple years later. Yeah, that's a weird one. His departure from the Broncos was a little weird too, but uh, it's um, it's not a fit story for the podcast. I'm not going to engage in rampant speculation, uh, but he uh, – I think that's a good one. I think the really interesting thing about him is he can't, he was on the Madden cover right when that was becoming a huge deal to be on the Madden cover. I'm not saying it wasn't important earlier in the two thousands, but when he was on the Madden cover, I think a lot of people were both shocked and thought it was really cool. Yeah. So there you go. It's just one of the most unexplainable Madden covers that we've had. You look at the rest of them, like they're very easily identifiable players, right? Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Rob Gronkowski, and then Peyton Hills. Just, it's kind of weird, right? The interesting thing too there is, you know, with Christian McCaffrey in the league, there hasn't been that, the kind of the talk about the white running back. Yeah. Back about 10, 12 years ago, there was always discussion of why aren't there any white running backs? Because there were so many good ones on the high school level. And, and then in college, they would switch positions. I think the only other white running back then would have been was um, was it Jacob Hester played for the Chargers? Yeah, Danny and, Woodhead was close to that time. He was yeah, in the Vikings. Uh, who was the guy for the Vikings? Um, Brian oh, Leonard. No, no, no. That's uh, Bengals. Um, okay, Toby Gerhardt. Toby, Toby Gerhardt. Gerhardt. There yeah. You go. So at that time, there were like more white running backs in the league than there had been in like decades. And, yeah. it, you know, it's kind of a, a weird thing. You don't really hear that anymore because people no. think Christian McCaffrey is so good because he yeah. is. But uh, uh, and I'm, I'm glad te- we don't talk about that dumb stuff anymore. <laughs> anyway. All right. Just going to tee this one up for you. Mike Furry. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I love my favorite story about Mike Furry. I think I've told it on the podcast before. But if I haven't, you know, Mike Furry. So he played arena ball. He was a defensive back. He, he goes to the Lions um, with uh when they had John Kitna and he catches like a hundred balls in either Oh six or Oh seven. And he has a couple of great years for them, but then he goes back to, he goes to Cleveland. Cleveland doesn't have this great offense and they were having a lot of injuries and, and you know, Mike Furry just kind of came out of nowhere to catch a hundred balls, like out of nowhere for the lions. And so when he went to the Browns, I guess people thought he was going to catch a lot of passes again, and he he really didn't play much at all. But it's Thursday night football. I'm at NFL Network. I go to the break room, and I'm watching the Brown Steelers game, and I get horribly confused because I see this guy in an 87 jersey for the Browns running around making tackles in the secondary, and he's all <laughs> over the place. And I'm like, what is I, – I couldn't follow the ball. I was like, wait, did did someone on the Browns fumble again? And the wide receivers having to tackle him again. So I thought like a Browns receiver had fumbled three times and Mike Furry was having to chase the guy down. And then I realized that the Browns just decided not to play Mike Furry at wide receiver. They're going to play him at defensive back. And he was running around wearing 87 out there. Anyway, 
It's great. I I do remember that season where he caught 98 passes. That was, that it was, was 98. That was okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, still. Uh, next one. And this one's a little unique because of the situation. Uh, but Matt Flynn. Here's why Matt Flynn's career is so interesting. He started two games before the Seahawks gave him a big deal, right? Yeah. Um, Seattle. Uh, I know the games. To... Go ahead. One of them was New England Sunday night football. It's the game that Matt Light had that kick return for the Patriots. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the Patriots tackle. Had Dan Connolly. Dan Connolly. Was it, oh, was it Dan Connolly? I thought it was Matt Light. Okay. No. And Matt Flynn uh, had the Packers in position to win the game, but they had some clock mismanagement, if I recall, inside the red zone, and they didn't win that one. And then 2011, the Packers started him the last game of the year against Detroit at Lambeau. And he and Matt Stafford combined for like, I want to say over 900 yards passing. Mm-hmm. One of them had 490. I know that for sure. And he got a contract off of that. He did. And it was a pretty decent contract that Seattle gave him. And he guess how many passes he threw for Seattle during his entire time with the team after getting that big contract? I'm going to go with two. He had nine passes, all in mop-up duty when Russell yes. Wilson came. So it's just very weird for a team to give a quarterback a big deal and never play him right and then Matt Flynn goes on to be a backup for a couple more years goes back to Green Bay uh, but he signs a contract in 2013 okay out of the league by the end of the 2014 season that now that part to me is the most wild of all of it I mean if and I don't remember what he threw that last game but like I said it had to be at least for like 450 it was something ridiculous Uh, he had a I, I was looking at three Three passing touchdowns in that game. I mean, he had it was monstrous. Um, and and unless my memory is totally off here, but I I and and I remember that Matt Stafford and Matt Flynn got in a shootout was just the weirdest thing. But mm-hmm. didn't Matt Flynn also quarterback the game against the Cowboys where the Cowboys yes. had a huge lead and Green Bay came back? I think so. It's twenty twelve. Uh, oh, oh, this is where Marcus's fandom blocks out. No, it wasn't of. against Dallas, apparently. But there was somebody else. Well, oh, no, was it was. That? It was 2013. 2013. 2013, so, that's right. So, yeah, that's he right. was—he already got cut by Seattle. Green Bay picked him up. And, yeah, he yes. threw for 300 yards and four touchdowns. Yes. <laughs> 300. I mean, think how casually you just said that. He, I, I, I've go got ahead. the numbers here from the Detroit game that he yeah. won, by the way. Okay. 31 of 44. 480 yards, six touchdowns, and one interception. <laughs> That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. But one last thing on this. I remember saying it at the time. I, I really, and then they told me to shut up because it was Fantasy Live at the time, and we didn't talk anything that was non-fantasy. But that what a great move by the Seahawks. And what I meant by that is teams don't do that. When they invest money in a player, they will continue to chase good money with bad money or chase good time with bad time. And what I mean by that is once you put the time into a player and you see that he's not it, bail. Who oh, cares yeah. what yep. you already it's not going to do you any good as they as they say the hole ain't getting any shallower. You know, just put the guy that's got potential in and forget your investment. And that's what the Seahawks did. They went in on Russell Wilson. I want to say like third preseason game. And it obviously worked out, I would say. All right, next one. Let's go Let's go into the history books a little bit, Elliot. Okay. George Blanda, uh, for a million different reasons, but he is only one of two players ever 
to play in four different decades. Started his career in 1949, finished in 1975. Uh, he played quarterback from 49 to 66, all while being the kicker at the same time. He went on to play from 67 to 75 just as a kicker. He retired in 1958, um, and then he signed with the Houston Oilers in 1960. Then he went on to play seven more seasons after that. Uh, he had two kick, re- or he had yeah two kick returns in his career. He had an interception as a linebacker. He's the oldest player in NFL history, and he's got a bunch of ridiculous stats that we can talk about. Yeah, the crazy thing about George Bland is when he came in the league in 49, they had a guy named Sid Luckman who is in the Hall of Fame and still the Bears' greatest quarterback of all time. And he never, Blanda really never got an opportunity to be the long-term starter in Chicago. They played him, but he couldn't cut it. They had a guy named Ed Brown, and he was out of the league in 1959. He was done. And he had a nice career. Mm -hmm. Like, in 59, he's done. He played 10 years in the NFL. That's a nice career, you know? Uh, I think he played in the 56 NFL championship game, you know? So you're thinking, okay, you're done. New startup league, uh, the AFL. They need players. A lot of NFL veterans went to the AFL to make some money. George Blanda takes the Houston Oilers to three straight AFL title games. Uh, They won the first two and lost the third, I think. And um, by the end of the 60s, he's just a kicker. 1970, he won five games in a row for the Raiders, either as a backup quarterback or by kicking a 50-yard field goal. In fact, uh, Marcus behind me in my room up here, you may not be able to see it, but uh, in the corner, I have George Blanda on the cover of Sports Illustrated, 1970, uh, when he won five games for the Raiders that year. And then he played till he's 48 years old. It's pretty good. Not bad. Not bad. Uh, I, got, I got two stats uh, for you, uh, George Blanda, okay. before I move on. You ready? Yeah. Uh, most seasons in NFL history scoring at least one point, 26. <laughs> That's, that's pretty crazy. Great. Uh, most interceptions in a season, 42. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he threw a lot of picks. <laughs> threw a lot of touchdowns, though, in some of those Oilers seasons, too. Uh, don't kid yourself. Uh, he, he had some receivers that caught 100 balls in the early Most passing season. touchdowns in a game as well, right? Yeah, seven. Um, also, a fun fact on him. From 60, let's see here. Uh, let me think this through. 69 to 75, he was older than his head coach. <laughs> it's I mean, like it's Andrew Brady Whitworth, game close, right? right? It's, it's Andrew Whitworth playing for, you know, uh, under Sean McVay, but for several more years. It's, so. it's just it's so it's, great. Uh, yeah. How about another guy that you're very familiar with? Kurt Warner. Because he went from <laughs> undrafted free agent to NFL MVP to Super Bowl winner to a somebody who got benched with the Giants, right, who people thought was completely done, back to being in the Super Bowl with the Cardinals. I mean, that's just pretty rare, right? Because once you've established yourself as a MVP and a Super Bowl winner, you're basically a starting quarterback the rest of your career, right? That just You don't get benched. That just doesn't happen. You know, so DeMarco Farr told me a story. He was on the Rams in the 90s, defensive tackle, and mm-hmm. – um, by the way, Marcus, you're you're bringing it with the uh, the facts here today. Thank you. I mean, I'm not used to this from you. I'm used to, I'm used to just uh, all biased opinion. So this is really good. Um, so Demarco Farr told me in like '97 or '98, he's in training camp, 
and he's in the car with Steve Bono and that, you know, the Rams are having trouble, you know, at quarterback and, you know, DeMarco Farr is like, yeah, Steve, this is your chance. And Steve Bono's like, I'm not the answer. <laughs> like backup quarterback that's just basically saying, well, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of done. The Rams were nowhere in 1998, man. They were nowhere. Mm-hmm. And Kurt Warner was a backup on that team. And in 99, they went and got Trent Green, who had shown a lot of promise with Washington. But Trent Green didn't get to play a lot in Washington because they had Heath Schuler, who was a top draft pick. Remember what we talked about with Russell Wilson? When a team invests their capital in somebody, they play him and play him way past the point. And with Heath Schuler, Washington should have bailed a lot earlier. They went to Gus Farratt. Gus Farratt was decent. Um, but Trent Green was the most talented of them. And when the Rams got him, they thought this was their guy. They thought Trent Green was going to take him to the playoffs. And lo and behold, he gets knocked out in the preseason. And, you know, the rest of the story with Kurt Warner. But a couple other interesting things with Kurt. He had some really bad luck. I mean, he had really good luck. But after that Rams run, in 02, he hurt his, uh, his thumb. Then in 03, he got concussed against the Giants. They went with Mark Bolger and stayed with Mark Bolger. And Kurt mm-hmm. really never got a chance to get his job back, which you're talking about a guy that won two MVPs, right? Yeah. Like he, he won a second MVP in 01, Marcus, and this is 03, and they're going with Mark Bolger. I mean, that's a bold move. Uh, and then 04, the Giants are 5-4 and four with Kurt Warner as quarterback, and they bench him not because he was playing poorly, because they wanted to see what they had in Eli. They won one game the rest of the year. It was against Dallas. Uh, yeah, I remember that game. I wanted the Cowboys to put Romo in so bad. Uh, you know, <laughs> then he goes to the Cardinals. Last thing on Kurt here, they go, he goes to the Cardinals. He plays 05, 06, 07. He's pretty good in 07. But they have Matt Leinart, and they're invested mm. in Matt Leinart, mm-hmm. and they don't want to bail. Teams are reluctant to do what Seattle did and just said, hey, we're bailing. So Kurt Warner went to Ken Wisenhunt and said, hey, I want to know that I have a chance to win this job outright. And Ken Wisenhunt was really honest with him and said, if it's even, obviously if Matt Leinart won in training camp, he's going to win the job. He's, Ken Wisenhunt told Kurt, if it's even, we're going with Matt. But if you beat him out, if you play better than him, I promise you the job will be yours. And Kurt outplayed him, and they went all the way to the Super Bowl. Pretty incredible, right? With a lot of help from Larry Fitzgerald. And I mean, a lot of help. Uh, unbelievable yeah. that year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Two more that I want to mention and then one other quick one. Um, okay. Brandon Lloyd for a couple different reasons. Yeah, that's a great one. So first of all, we all remember Brandon Lloyd because of his ridiculous highlight catches. But I don't think people remember how much of a journeyman he was early in his career. He was drafted by the 49ers. Uh, then he went to Washington. Then he was went with Chicago from 2007 from 2009. Three different teams. He totaled f- less than 500 yards. Okay, from 2007 to 2009, 2010 he becomes a part time yeah part time starter with the Broncos. 1400 yards and 11 touchdowns as their kind of de facto number one receiver. Before that, he had one season over 500 yards in the first seven years of his career. That just doesn't happen where you go from a 300-yard receiver uh, a season to 1,400 yards. I mean, I I think this all the time. People talk about Randy Moss, and you know Randy Moss made insane plays. 
I've never seen receivers make some of the catches Brandon Lloyd made. Unbelievable. Ever. Uh, his, some of his catches in San Francisco and the Broncos specifically, he was so good at getting his toes down and body control. His body control was ridiculous. He, it's like he could suspend himself, and he caught some of those Tim Tebow knuckleballs too. Um, yeah. The, the reason I thought about him is because I was on Facebook yesterday and uh, I followed the NFL Throwback channel and they posted a video, like a 10-minute video of his best catches. And I was like, oh, I got to talk about him on the pod. Unbelievable yeah. career. Yeah, I, I like that one. All right, who's next? Last one, last one. And this one I always find the most interesting. LeGarrette Blunt, a running back uh, for the Patriots, for the Bucks, for the Steelers. What makes Blunt so interesting is he was somebody out of Oregon Oregon, Oregon. I don't know. I always say it wrong. Uh, Oregon. <laughs> very talented, but didn't get drafted because I don't, I don't know if you remember, but he punched somebody in one of their last games of the season. Was it when they were doing the handshake? Yeah. Going across yeah. the field? Yeah, I do right. remember that. So he goes undrafted, but as a rookie, he plays 13 games with the Bucks and rushes for 1,000 yards and six touchdowns, which that's, for an undrafted running back to do that, pretty incredible. The next two seasons in Tampa Bay... He has less than 1,100 total yards. He kind of gets phased out of the offense. By 2012, he hardly plays. He has 42 touches in the season. Tampa Bay releases him from his restricted free agent contract. Uh, they want nothing to do with him. At this time, he's a 27-year-old running back who looks like he's lost his speed, doesn't offer anything as a receiver, right? From that point on in his career, he goes on to be the leading rusher for three different Super Bowl winning teams. It's three crazy. different ones. During the 2014 season, he signs with Pittsburgh in free agency on a pretty decent deal. Uh, he's not playing as the season goes along, and he walks off in the middle of the field, and Pittsburgh cuts him after the game because he just seems like he's not interested. Signs with New England, has a monster playoffs in 2014, and is in rushing yards. And then, one more. 2016 games. He's still not the starter, full-time starter. He starts eight games that season. He rushes for 1,200 yards and scores 18 touchdowns for the Patriots in a year they win the Super Bowl. I mean, just it, it, an incredible career. And Philly. And then Philly. He's a leading rusher for Philadelphia when they win the Super Bowl as well. Yeah, I, I remember a lot of this. Um, I think the Steelers had to play Ben Tate that year in the playoffs, <laughs> the year you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And was it 2012? I think it was 2012. New England played the Colts or no, 2013. New England played the Colts in the playoffs. Something, some, one of those years and LeGarrette Blunt just went nuts in a postseason game, um, had a huge game, but, um, I think that's a great choice. I like that one a lot. Um, now I know you've got tea time with uncle Scott. So do I, do I, do I get to just throw out? Yeah, of course. I, that was just my, my running list of players. I wanted to mention, go ahead. Yeah. So I'm going to go, since we went way recent vintage here with Marcus, I'm going to go back a little bit and just give you guys a couple of, uh, couple of really old, old stories that I just think are really fun. Um, the NFL started keeping stats in 1932. And so we've had a rushing leader every year since 1932. And so there was a guy, uh, it's, this is the craziest thing ever. There was a guy that came into the league. His name was BD feathers. <laughs> Doesn't that just great sound name. like some All dude? Time that, great name. Yeah. BD feathers came into the league in 1934 
Now, this is back in the days when about 500 yards led the NFL in rushing. They only played like 11 or 12 games. And it was a running back by committee, Marcus's favorite thing ever. You had a quarterback and you had three running backs in the backfield. And I don't know if you've ever seen film from the 30s and 40s, but the ball handling is ridiculous. Like it's all about faking mm-hmm. who's getting the ball. It's crazy. Anyway, so BD Feathers comes in the league. Marcus, I'm going to read you his stats, okay? This is rookie year. I'm ready. He gets 119 rushing attempts, which was standard. That's about what guys got. For 1,004 yards, eight <laughs> touchdowns, 8.4 yards per carry. It was the first 1,000-yard year in the NFL, and nobody would rush for 1,000 yards in the NFL for over a decade after this. <laughs> so weird. Okay, so he runs for 1,000 yards, right? 8.4 yards per carry. The rest of his entire career, he runs for 900 and something yards. Yeah, that's incredible. And then he just, he, he he's gone. Okay, another old, old running back, since Marcus is the official running backs guy. The guy that led the NFL in rushing in 38 and 40 was a guy named Byron White. He ran for 567 yards in 38, and he ran for 514 yards in 1940. And again, those were pretty good years because you're splitting carries between about four different guys. And so, you know, he had nice years. 1941, he plays for the Lions. He retires. He goes into law, and Byron Wizard White becomes Byron White White Supreme Court Justice, as in U.S. Supreme Court Justice. So there's that one. Oh Staying on gosh. the running back train. Uh, are we having fun yet? Kind of. This is, these are good. Right. Okay. One of my favorites. I might've told this on the podcast once. There was a guy named Speck Sanders. He plays in the late forties, 1946. He plays in the all America football conference. That's where we got Cleveland and San Francisco and the original Colts came from this league. Speck Sanders runs for 709 yards in 1946. Pretty good season. 5.1 yards per carry. Um, 1947, he becomes the first player in NFL history to run and pass for a thousand yards. Your favorite player of all time, Marcus became the second. Um, yes. In case y'all didn't know, Michael Vick is Marcus Mosher's favorite player of all time. Well, so, favorite non-cowboy. Go ahead. But yes. my favorite non-cowboy. Yeah. So 1947, Spec Sanders rushes for 1,432 yards. At 6.2 yards per carry, over 100 yards per game, and throws for over 1,000 yards. Then in 48, he leads the NFL in yards per carry, but he bangs up his knee. So, or Not the NFL, I'm sorry, the, the All-America Football Conference. So three straight years, this guy leads the league in rushing attempts, <clears throat> bangs up his knee, and a sporting goods store offered him a job. So he quits playing professional football. This is the first guy to run for a thousand yards and pass for a thousand yards. And this is in the late forties when professional football is starting to get pretty good crowds. He quits because a sporting goods store like big five. What do you guys have out there? And it'd be like Dick's sporting goods, something like that. Right. Dick's sporting goods says, Hey, Marcus, we'd love for you to manage our store. Will you quit doing uh locked on Cowboys and quit doing power rankings podcast? So he does, he goes, and there's nothing wrong with managing a sporting goods store. It's just, it gets weird because he goes and he manages a sporting goods store, but the old, the, his old team owner owns the New York Yanks of the, the NFL in 1950. 
and tries to woo him back and he doesn't want to play okay because he's got this banged up knee and he's got a good job right but they convince him on he had one condition that he would play and they had to convince him that he would not have to be like the bell cow that he wouldn't have to run the ball anymore okay what player says i don't want to run the ball anymore so they I mean, Debo fine. this year, right? Debo Samuel doesn't want to run the ball anymore. But yeah, right. that's the last one. Right. So they say, okay, okay. Uh, and by the way, he was also the punter. I didn't mention that. <laughs> so uh, they say, okay, we'll just have you punt and you'll you'll play on defense. He goes, okay. So he averages 42.3 yards per punt, which is in, uh, pretty respectable. Okay. He intercepts 13 passes. <laughs> which was the most interceptions in NFL history. So the first guy to, to run and throw for a thousand yards in NFL history quits to go manage a sporting goods store and then comes back and sets the NFL record for interceptions. I mean, so stupid. And yeah. he's a good punter putting up great guy numbers. Yeah. And then after that season, he's like, yeah, I'm done. I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. So uh, maybe the greatest all around player in pro football history just called it quits. Okay. Did he, uh, did he go on to manage the, the sporting store? I don't, you know, I don't know. Uh, that's a really good question. He went to uh, University of Texas, Spec Sanders. Okay, so have you ever seen the the wrong way run by Jim Marshall before? Yes, for the Vikings, yes. Right, where he, he picks up the ball. Jim Marshall, if you don't know, was a defensive end for the Vikings. He had the NFL record for most consecutive games played until Brett Favre broke it played like 282 straight games at defensive end, which is ridiculous. But um, Jim Marshall grabbed a fumble in a 49er game in 1964 and literally ran into the 49ers end zone with it. Mm -hmm. And he, he got confused because his teammates were yelling at him. And so he just threw the ball up in the air, didn't know what to do with it. Like he didn't spike it. And so it was a safety. Um, but the guy who fumbled the ball, his name is Billy Kilmer. And Billy Kilmer was a halfback for the 49ers, okay, who occasionally would throw the ball, but he played halfback. And Billy Kilmer played from 1961 to 1966, but he took two years off in between. One, he injured his leg, and then I think he just pieced out for a year. So a guy who's played, you know, four out of six possible years in the NFL signs with the expansion Saints, and they put him at quarterback. Billy Kilmer would go on to play quarterback in the NFL until he was 39 years old. He started Super Bowl seven for the for Washington, and he won a quarterback competition with Sonny Jurgensen, who's in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> this is a converted halfback. OK, uh, I think that's ridiculous. All right. My I think this may be my final one because I okay. really don't want to keep Marcus from his tea time. I think maybe the weirdest, if we're talking about great, great players, like Hall of Fame level players, because a lot of these guys that we're talking about were good players, mm -hmm. you know, like LeGarrette Blunt. This guy that I'm about to talk about was was very LeGarrette Blunt-esque. John Riggins is in the Hall of Fame. Yep. You've probably seen film of John Riggins in Super Bowl 17 running for 40-something yards, he, you know, the hogs and the diesel and all that stuff. and. Marcus loves Washington history. And of course, watch the current Washington team is carrying on that proud history. <laughs> anyway, so John Riggins 
was a high school sprint champion. Okay. He, uh, really fast, fast dude in the 100 and comes in the league in 1971 with the New York Jets. And Joe Namath is the star. Nobody cares about their stupid rookie running back from Kansas. So he's kind of an eccentric dude and he kind of want to make his own way on the team. So he shaves his head into a mohawk. This is in like 1972. And nobody knows what to do with this guy. They're like, this dude is the biggest freaking weirdo. And turns out, though, he can play. He runs for like 900 and something yards. 1975, he runs for over 1,000 yards. But he gets into a dispute, with, uh, I think, with management. And he ends up going to Washington. And George Allen, even though the dude just ran for 1,000 yards in 14 games, says, I'm putting you at fullback. And no one could figure out why is he putting this guy who's fast and ran for a thousand yards at fullback. Mm-hmm. So he blocks for lesser players for two years. Okay. It's like putting, you know, Emmett Smith at fullback, you know, putting uh, Marcus Allen at fullback. Exactly. That's exactly, exactly right. So John Riggins toils at fullback. <clears throat> Finally, the uh, Washington gets a new head coach, Jack Pardee. Jack Party says, no, we're putting you a tailback where you belong. He runs for a thousand yards back to back years. He's really good. Gets in a contract dispute and retires. He's done. He's done playing football. He's played nine years. He's done. So it's 1980. He sits out the whole season. 1981, John Riggins is already 32 years old. Okay. And I mean, if, in Marcus years with running backs, you're done at 22. You know, yeah. John yeah. Riggins, is, he's 32. But they hire this guy, Joe Gibbs, and Joe Gibbs is like, I want to run a one-back offense in Washington, and all we've got is Joe Washington, and he's not big enough. So he goes to John Riggins' house, and he tries to lure this 32-year-old running back that didn't play. John Riggins comes to the door in cut-off jean shorts, jorts. Jorts, yep. Jorts, and two beers. Okay. So, so Joe Gibbs lures him back to play. So John Riggins shows up at training camp. He goes, I'm bored, I'm broke, and I'm back. That's his, that's his opening line to the media. They play him as a short yardage back. Then all of 1982, they're playing him as a short yardage back and kind of, you know, off and on. And he goes into Joe Gibbs' office at the end of 1982 season. It's a strike year. And he goes, hey, no more of this DH stuff. You know, it's like, I may be 33 years old, but I, I I still got a lot. I can play. And so Joe Gibbs says, all right, you know, so we're going to, we're going to play you as our bell cow back in, in the playoffs. So John Riggins, dude, Marcus, this, this is his, uh, his carry load for the 1982 postseason. And would you agree that Larry Fitzgerald has the greatest postseason you've ever yes. seen or, yes. or would it, are you a Joe Flacco? No, no, no. Guy? Fitzgerald's in 20, uh, 20. T- Eight was better. Twenty-eight. Two thousand eight was better. Okay, the only guy, the only guy that I would give a little bit of a run for the money here is John Riggins in nineteen eighty-two. This is his carry total per game after he went into to Joe Gibbs' office and said, "No more DH stuff." Twenty-five carries for one hundred nineteen yards against Detroit. Thirty-seven carries for one hundred eighty-five yards the next week against Minnesota. 36 carries the next week in the championship game against Dallas for 104 yards. 
38 carries the next week for 166 yards in the Super Bowl. So <laughs> I just think this is crazy. The dude's 33 years old, right? The next year, he leads the NFL, or uh, excuse me, he runs for 24 rushing touchdowns, 1,300 yards at 34. 35 years old, he runs for 1,200 yards for Washington, over 300 carries. And then finally in 1985, same thing, um, and they finally sit him towards the end of the year and go with a different running back because he's 36 years old. John Riggins ran for more yards in his 30s than he did his 20s. How is that even possible? It's pretty incredible. Do you, do you want me to do the Debbie Downer side of this, or we just want to leave it sure, like go, that? Sure, go ahead. I just see the average under four yards are carrying and gave you nothing as a receiver, but it's fine. He's a good character. He's fine. Oh, listen, dude. First of all, (laughs) I'm just joking. (laughs) He ran every third and fourth down and every goal line. They would just give him the ball three straight times at the goal line. That destroys your yards per carry. That's sure. And he he wasn't known as that, that you can't dispute. He just, they just didn't really use him that way, but yeah, it's pretty, it's a, it's a one trick pony, but that trick is very good. How many rushing yards, since you're looking at his stats, how many career rushing yards and rushing touchdowns? I'm going to go like 11,000-something rushing yards. Yeah, 11,352 rushing yards, 104 touchdowns, rushing touchdowns. That's pretty good, man. That's pretty good. I don't know. Anyway, look, I, yeah, that's dude, fine. You poo-poo my story because no, 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 you don't no, no, like no. player. That's fine. He was a much better receiver earlier in his career. He had multiple seasons of receptions, uh, which in the 70s, that's great. So I was more just teasing. You know, we didn't mention just a couple like just names to mention. You gotta say Ricky Williams. Uh Bill Parcells getting him to come back. Uh or, or, or him coming back and then Bill Parcells and him doing his contract negotiations on like a little sticky note, I thought was great. His last year in Miami, and then uh he goes to Baltimore. And do you remember do you even remember Ricky Williams with Baltimore? I do I do he was effective. Uh- I'll give you one more. And this yep. one's because of this guy's own fault. But Alden Smith was an all pro player in 2012, right? As a rookie, he had 14 sacks. He missed four seasons due to a suspension. He came back in 2020, played all 16 games for Dallas, and was a good player, and then got suspended again. But when you take four years off in the middle of your career, and now you're 31 and you're able to come back and start every game and play well, just kind of, I mean, he, he was a, there's just not many athletes like him out there. I mean, I love um, I love that Doug Flutie came yeah. back into the NFL after being out of the league for like eight years, and he leads Buffalo to the playoffs. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was not fluky. It wasn't Flutie. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. Ricky Williams' last contract with Miami uh, was done like on a sticky note. And he ran for over 1,100 yards in 2009. Do you think anybody remembers that Ricky Williams – in his 30s, ran for 1,100 yards? No. <laughs> no. No. Another guy uh, worth mentioning real quick is uh, Robert Edwards. Runs for 1,000 yards as a rookie back for the Patriots. Tears his knee up. I think it was a flag football game in the sand, I I, I want to say. And he jumped. It was. I read it in your Oh. Misses, <laughs> uh, you know, three years. And then comes back with Miami in 2002 uh, with Dave Wanstead. I think he got a rushing touchdown or two in the season opener. And it was just so great that he was able to come back after missing um, all those years. But I like to mention the running backs because Marcus hates running backs. 
That's not true. I can enjoy him. Don't play him second contracts. Uh, that's, that's all that's all I got for you, Elliot. Yeah. Um so if Michael Vick's not your favorite player, is it Dion? Is that your favorite player ever? Uh no. I you're saying like recent Cowboys? He had because Dion had a crazy career. Yeah, I mean, Dion Dion between, was one of my favorite Cowboys ever. Between playing baseball for the Braves, uh being a great base stealer. I mean Dion could play. He could play yeah. uh baseball, I'm saying. To coming back with Baltimore after being gone for three years and then playing nickel for Baltimore uh, to all the return touchdowns. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a great no, one. No, my favorite player of all time is Terrence Newman. So that won't be beaten. Seriously, is that, that's, is that that's a true. fact? Yeah, it is. Which, which we should mention Terrence Newman played corner until he was 40. <laughs> and he was old when he got drafted. <laughs> like, tell me I'm wrong. That's right. Every, every corner that stays in the league for a really long time, like a Rod Woodson, they always go back to go to safety if they stay mm-hmm. in the league by their late thirties. What corner plays until he's forty? Terrence Newman could probably give you a few red zone snaps right now, <laughs> as long as he didn't have to run too far. You know. Uh, also, really, really underrated punt returner during his NFL career. But there yeah, you go. yeah, um, I loved it because you know he played for Mike Zimmer everywhere. Yeah, and I think Mike Zimmer just got the point. Like I trust him. I trust oh, of that he's gonna, you know, that he's gonna be where he's supposed to be. But uh, three years in Cincinnati, uh, when Zimmer was the defensive coordinator there, right, right, and of course Zimmer was his DC his rookie year in 03. Mm-hmm. and uh, and then you know obviously with Minnesota he played all that time. But um, uh, yeah, uh, pretty good first draft for Bill Parcells, Newman and Jason Witten, back to back, and those guys both played forever. And those were the Parcells era first two draft and, picks, were they not? Uh, it was Newman, uh, Al Johnson in the second one, bet pick. Uh, Jason Witten in third, and then Brady oh. James in the fourth round. Oh, doggone it! I forgot about Al Johnson. All right, you but, got. Me. Listen, I like how Newman, you lowered your voice. <laughs> yeah, Newman, Witten, and Brady James all in the same draft. That's a heck of a draft. Yeah, Zerrell Smith, see. baby. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I. I don't know any, I can't think of any other situation where people whisper something real fast so that we all pretend like it didn't happen. I can't think of anything else in society like that. Al Johnson's the only one. Yeah. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Hey, this is great, great stuff, dude. I love all the, uh, love all the names. Go play uh, golf with uncle Scott. We appreciate all you guys very, very much uh, wherever you are in the country and hope you're having a, a good day and not uh, getting too fired up over uh, stuff on social media right now. I'll just Al say Johnson. That. Don't be and upset. That, about all, don't let Al Johnson ruin your Friday. <laughs> don't just remember Andre Gerard and Travis Frederick came after him. So yeah, we're fine. fine. No, no problem at all. <laughs> if you're an old school listener, listen, I got your Tom Rafferty right here. Like I'm, <laughs> we're good. We're all good. Mark Stepnowski all day, baby, all day. All right, uh, he is at Marcus underscore Mosher. He covers the Cowboys for Locked On Cowboys. And, uh, well, I mean, you host it for Locked On Cowboys with Landon McCool. And then also covers the Raiders for USA Today. I am at Harrison NFL on Twitter. We love you guys. We will see you on Tuesday. Take care, everybody. Ryan Cook, baby. (laughs) 